Hey everyone, I hope your 2023 is off to a great start. I am feeling pretty good about my start to this year, to be honest. Um, it's the second week of January and I'm already accomplished one of the goals that I set out for myself, which was to hire a chief of staff. So I brought on Jason Glassby, who I have had the chance to work with a few times on different projects over the years. And I think he's going to be just a fantastic addition to the work that I'm doing with entrepreneurial mental health, with the podcast, with beginning YouTube, just all of the different things that happen under the umbrella of Zen Founder. He's going to be the sort of traffic conductor to help keep everything running fluidly. So I'm already feeling optimistic and a bit relieved about what the year holds. One other personal note before I get into the subject for today, if you haven't yet had the chance to watch my TEDx talk, it is now out. You can Google TED and my name, or the title is Why a Grieving Psychologist Joined the Circus. Having that talk out in the world feels like a nice capstone to the work that I've been doing with grief and particularly grief and movement. Of course, that's not the end of the conversation for me, but um, it was really important to pull all of those ideas and learnings together into, you know, one presentation. The TEDx talk is both a summary of my ideas around movement and mental health, and of course, integrates some circus performance. So it's something that I'm really proud of and excited to share. Okay, jumping into the topic for today, I am about to give a talk at a conference called Psychedelics as Medicine. The conference is in Reykjavik, Iceland, and includes some really big names in this space, folks like Michael Pollan, Rick Doblin. And though this podcast is by no means a psychedelics podcast, it is a podcast that is about mental health, mental well-being for entrepreneurs. And this conversation around how psychedelics may play a role in ongoing mental health treatment and care, I think is a really important conversation. And there's newly released research a la last week that is part of the third round of the clinical trial project to get FDA approval to use MDMA for PTSD. So there's the possibility that MDMA will be approved for sort of wide-scale use for treatment for PTSD as soon as Q4 of this year. So very exciting, but something that I think all humans should probably be well-versed in. And entrepreneurs in particular tend to be early adopters, and it feels like a space that might be valuable to talk about on this podcast. So if this is not a subject of interest for you, totally cool. You can skip this one and, you know, just go watch the TEDx talk. And um, if it is a subject of interest for you, then buckle up. Here we go. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means, sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. 
I am in many ways a very unlikely advocate for psychedelic-supported psychotherapy. I grew up in an evangelical family and one in which the only conversation about non-ordinary states occurred in the context of prayer and worship. And my religious upbringing meant there was no alcohol in my family, no dancing, no card playing, and definitely no drugs. It was a little bit like Footloose, that Kevin Bacon moving from the 80s. And, you know, if you're living in the U.S. and you're familiar with the political dynamics in the 1980s, I was definitely a product of the religious right and Nancy Reagan's Just Say No campaign. I didn't actually have a drop of alcohol until I was over the age of 21, not a big marijuana user, blah, blah, blah. So I guess I give that context because I think sometimes when people talk about psychedelics, you really get this, this old picture of like hippies on the fringe. And that is not the case for me. And it's definitely not the case for this movement to integrate psychedelic medicine into mental health care. Just for reference, there are something like 80 new centers for research or clinical innovation related to psychedelics at medical schools around the country. Places like Harvard, like UC San Francisco, Johns Hopkins is a long leader in this field. So uh, it's not fringe science anymore. Although I've been sort of professionally aware of the research related to psychedelics and mental health for a number of years, I really come to this story from my own personal experience. If you've listened to the podcast for any amount of time, you're aware that I lost my brother Dave to suicide in 2019. He was 33 and he died from, I guess, a mixture of depression, anxiety, and alcohol addiction. So this is a tricky trifecta because these are really, really common things. And I think we forget that sometimes they can be deadly. So he was not someone who we would classify as like seriously mental ill. He spent his adulthood working as river raft guide in Montana. He loved to ski and mountain bike. And he was a really wonderful person. He was kind and loving and I loved him very much. The way that the experience losing Dave kind of opened my intellectual and... I guess, intellectual curiosity and my heart to the potential of psychedelics in mental health is that I watched him go through mental health treatment for years and really without much success or the success that he had was just so hard fought. He was in and out of treatment for roughly two years and had very long periods of sustained sobriety during that time. So he was working the program But despite his efforts, his inability to create meaningful, sustained healing for himself has really fueled my desire to see significant change in the way that we engage the conversation about mental health and treatment. So quite simply, we haven't had significant innovation in mental health for a number of years, and we're long overdue. So for the sake of time, I'm going to talk about three things that really drive my advocacy for the adoption of psychedelics as medicine. Number one, we simply need to move faster. Over 700,000 people die by suicide every year, and the suicide rate in the U.S. has increased 36% between 2000 and 2018. So very literally, people are dying. And our current interventions, whether it's therapy, psychotropic medication, like an SSRI, which is like the class of medicine that includes Prozac, or the combination of the two, which is sort of the gold standard of treatment for things like depression, significant anxiety. Most addictions are treated with a combination of psychotropic medication and therapy. 
These things, although they're powerful and they're helpful, they take way too long. So if someone begins a new course of an SSRI like Prozac, which is one of the most commonly prescribed medications in the world, the best case scenario, best, which is only true for about 25% of people, is that it's four to six weeks before they experience significant alleviation of their suffering, of their symptoms. And that, of course, is after they've done the work to make an appointment with their doctor, complete the paperwork, blah, blah, blah. So for most people, months pass before there begins to be a significant new experience before they feel better, before they work out the exact dosage of medicine or find that great therapeutic relationship with a psychologist or a therapist. And that is simply too long. So psychedelic supported psychotherapy, which is where people take a moderate to high dose of a psychedelic medicine in the presence of a team of therapists. They have preparation sessions, they have this sort of big day-long session, and then they have some follow-up psychological support. But after simply one dose of, for example, psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in mushrooms, after one dose a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine found significant improvement in depression. And I think that's extraordinarily compelling that someone can have a significant neurological, neurochemical shift, right? Something's happening in the brain, but also something is happening in the therapeutic, their emotional, their cognitive, their sort of thought processes. They can have significant alleviation of severe depression after one dose, I think that is a game changer for many, many folks because we need healing to move faster. Second reason that I think psychedelics are really important to consider integrating into mental health care is that we need treatments that connect us to joy and meaning. Don't just focus on symptom alleviation. Our traditional medical models focus on taking away symptoms, which is really wonderful and important, but some of the strategies that are commonly used, once again, I'm sort of pointing the finger at the SSRIs here, not only take away symptoms, but they can reduce our capacity for joy. So for example, if you think about depression as leaning too far into the edge of negative emotion, one of the ways that an SSR works is to restrict the range of emotion. So you can't lean too far in the direction of depression. But unfortunately, that means that you also can't lean too far in the direction of joy. It restricts the range of affect or emotion on both ends of the spectrum. And as a result, it impairs people's capacity to really engage in the things that make life most worth living. So positive feelings, the pleasure of sex, having really good food that tastes really good. There's a term that's thrown around a little bit in the psychiatric literature called SSRI indifference. The sense of apathy that comes with this model of medication. Some early research, again with psilocybin, that was also published in the New England Journal of Medicine points to the possibility, it's sort of a small study, so that's why I'm being sort of careful about my language, that psilocybin has the potential to reduce the depression without impairing the positive range of affect. So without impairing joy, without diminishing someone's capacity for pleasure. And once again, that's a game changer because when we think about suicide prevention or when we think about human thriving and wellness, 
it's not from a place of indifference or numbness. It's from a capacity for joy, meaning, participating in life in the ways that we long to, not just feeling kind of numbed out. I guess one parenthetical little interjection here too is that if you are somebody who has benefited from an SSRI or someone in your family, like that is fantastic. Like I don't mean to make anyone feel like those are not good treatments because they they are and they've worked for a lot of years. And in fact, they've worked so well that I think in some ways they've stopped scientific curiosity about what else could be done. And really that's just my argument is that like we have something that works relatively well for a lot of folks, but is there the possibility of of doing it even better. And I do think that's what some of the promise of psychedelic supported psychotherapy may offer. The third reason that I think we would be wise to really think about using psychedelics as medicine is that these processes integrate our full selves into our healing. So I would argue that another like major, major problem with our current treatment models is that they're very fragmented. You go to one physician for your medicine, you go to a therapist for your talk therapy, you go to your spiritual leader for your existential conversation about death or about grief. And we are still treating the mind and body as if they're separate, like some kind of old holdout from Descartes and philosophy around body-soul dualism. It is simply not how our systems work. We believe that medical doctors treat the body symptoms, psychologists work with thoughts and feelings, spiritual leaders help with meaning and morality, and we're not that fragmented. We've sort of allowed the medical community to chop us into human bits and... We've forgotten wisdom in trading for expertise and specialization. And I think psychedelic medicine is going to rearrange that because it really is a holistic intervention. It's a biochemical intervention, right? It's something that is chemically and structurally altering the brain for a short period of time. But it's also a human endeavor that is really deeply integrated with healers and it has kind of a spiritual framework. I mean, a lot of people in the context of a psychedelic journey experience kind of a spiritual awakening, a sense of connection to something that's greater than themselves, clarity around death and life and these big kind of existential conversations that don't always happen in our doctor's offices. But again, when I think about true human wellness, it is a very integrative picture. It's not fragmented. And I think we need to ask more of our healers and our helpers to see the fullness of ourselves. And I think there is potential for psychedelic supported psychotherapy to do that really well. This, of course, is going to necessitate like a reframing of how we do medicine, which is um, going to be tricky and may be an experiment that fails but I think it's at least worth the try. You know, to be honest, these are also interventions that I think scare us. So I've outlined a few things that I think are compelling reasons why we need medicine, but I also want to tell the truth about what we're afraid of. When we are talking about these kinds of processes, we are stepping out of the illusion of control. In medicine work, we can set intentions and make therapeutic plans, but we're never fully in control. We never know exactly where the conversation will go and where the medicine will lead. And I think that's a very uh, scary reality for lots of us who do this work either as helpers or as clients. 
And as I alluded to, often this work leads to spiritual, existential kinds of uncoverings that may not be what we hope for or want, may be very helpful to us, but I think it can feel really uncomfortable to begin to think about a treatment modality that may take you in a direction that you don't anticipate. Secondly, I think we are nervous about these kinds of interventions because they really do invite us to face our griefs and our traumas and our pain. They're not numbing interventions. They move us toward the things that hurt, not away from the things that hurt. And that is hard work. It's a very hard work for many folks to re-encounter or face some of their worst moments and worst experiences and be invited by the medicine to like stare them in the face. Of course, that's done with the support and preparation. And that's why I don't think that these medicines should be practiced on your own. If you are using psychedelics as a healing modality, it's in the presence of a helper. But again, this is very different than the symptom alleviation model that says, take away the pain. In this model, we walk toward the pain. It's an in and through model. That There's a belief that the symptoms will be alleviated and that the suffering will end, but it's only by walking toward the worst and hardest things. And finally, I think uh, we get pretty, as a society, we get pretty nervous about psychedelics because it really does invite us to redefine what we mean when we talk about medicine. We're getting into the territory of healing and of, um, of spirituality. So we can't use the same models of kind of the white-coated doctor who is very clinical and separate. Psychedelics are very, very humanizing. And I think would, in many ways, dismantle and rearrange how we've established the medical systems around us. And, you know, anytime you're changing well-established power structures, people don't like that. Generally, as a human being, I take a pretty even keel, measured stance. I'm not an early adopter. I'm not a fan of things. I'm, you know, pretty, pretty chill. But you can tell that I have leaned really clearly into my perspective that psychedelics are really powerful healing tools. And, you know, I think they would have been helpful to my brother. And I hate the idea that other people's brothers are suffering or that um, other people's children are lost in addiction or in depression when it's very possible that there's something that we could do to help. And I don't think that psychedelics are magic. I don't think that they're going to solve all our problems. I think there's plenty of pain and grief and injustice and suffering to go around. And we're going to be sitting with the consequences of that stuff for generations. But I do think that these are tools that have the power to change the story. And I'm watching closely to see how, um, obviously how the research is developing, but also how the adoption of psychedelics into our medical practices is happening. And I would encourage you to keep an eye on it as well. So once again, no intention of focusing exclusively on psychedelics as uh, the subject of this podcast, but every once in a while we'll sprinkle something in and hope that it serves you in some way or another. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com 
for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.